Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday, and I'm Michael Novogratik. Today is Tuesday, December 1st, 2009, and this week, I'll travel to Las Vegas for Novogratik Company's Tax Credit Housing Finance Conference. If you aren't able to join us in Las Vegas this week, I encourage you to register for our next affordable housing conference in Miami, which will be held on Thursday, January 14th, and Friday, January 15th. Details are available at www.novoco.com events. In this week's podcast, I will discuss a proposal to amend the Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit so that it can be used to redevelop the nation's aging public schools. I will also review a measure introduced in the House that would create market-based incentives to increase the energy efficiency of federally assisted housing. Then, I'll share details of two legislative proposals related to renewable energy. The first would provide a tax credit for utilities to integrate more wind and solar into their energy portfolios. The second plan would double the amount of tax credits available for the Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit that was created by the Recovery Act and is detailed in Internal Revenue Code Section 48, Cap C. I'll also share a quick update about objections raised by Senator Chuck Schumer last month regarding funds allocated to foreign companies under the Section 1603 Renewable Energy Tax Credit Program that provides cash grants in lieu of federal energy tax credits. But first, we have breaking news about the Internal Revenue Service's plans for issuing guidance in the coming year. On November 24th, the Treasury Department and Internal Revenue Service, IRS, released the 2009-2010 Priority Guidance Plan. The plan contains 315 IRS tax guidance projects that are scheduled for completion by June 2010. According to the plan, the IRS plans to publish a number of pieces of guidance related to affordable housing, new markets, and renewable energy tax credit programs, all by June 2010. Details about the specific guidance for each tax credit can be found on the corresponding Novogratik Tax Credit Resource Center portal. You can find all the portals by visiting www.novoco.com. I should note that there is no guarantee that the IRS will publish any or all of the items by June 2010. However, Novogratik and Company will track the plan's progress carefully, and as soon as any guidance is released, we'll provide updates online, in industry alert emails, via Twitter, and in future podcasts. Now, let's get started with our first topic. For this week's podcast, I want to discuss a proposal to use historic tax credits to rehab public schools. On November 19th, Congressman Eric Cantor and Arthur Davis introduced H.R. 4133, a bill that would amend Internal Revenue Code Section 47 to exempt public school rehabilitation from the tax-exempt use exception to the Rehabilitation Tax Credit. If enacted, the change would allow the historic tax credit to rehabilitate public schools. The idea was proposed in October in a New York Times op-ed written by Republican Senator and former Virginia Governor George Allen and former Virginia State Democratic Party Chairman Paul Goldman. Since then, the proposal has continued to gather bipartisan support and has been endorsed by former Democratic National Committee Chairman and gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe and current Virginia Governor Tim Kaine. On November 17th, Governor Kaine sent a letter to Ways and Means Committee Chairman Charles Rangel. In his letter, Governor Kaine calls the idea an innovative solution for funding school renovations. Under the plan, the historic tax credit could be used by developers to rehabilitate schools. Then, the schools would be leased back to local school districts. Speaking to the Richmond Crusade for Voters on November 17th, former Senator Allen called the proposal, quote, a home run of an idea, close quote. The Richmond Times-Dispatch reports that Goldman has said most buildings 
more than 50 years old can qualify for the tax credit. In their op-ed for the New York Times, Goldman and Allen cited a study by the Department of Education that found that as of 1998, the average age of America's schools was 42 years, and that 28% of the nation's schools were built before 1950. Also, in their op-ed, Goldman and Allen write that they have spoken with investors in Virginia, and they report that if Congress amends the law, they already have the money pledged to modernize more schools in Virginia than has ever been done at any one time in any locality in the state's history. Upon introduction, H.R. 4133 was referred to the House Committee on Ways and Means, that's the House Tax Writing Committee. The gathering bipartisan support is encouraging and increases the chances that the change could be adopted. Novograd and Company will track the bill's progress and update the tax credit community in future podcasts and industry alert emails via Twitter and online at www.novacode.com. In the meantime, a copy of the bill is available online at www.novacode.com by clicking on the Historic Tax Credit Resource Center button and then clicking on the legislation link in the menu at the left of the page. Moving on to the affordable housing portion of today's podcast, we have news about a plan to increase the energy efficiency of federally assisted housing. On November 18th, Congresswoman Mary Jo Kilroy of Ohio introduced H.R. 4099, a bill to facilitate retrofitting of Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, assisted properties. The National Housing and Rehabilitation Association's Council for Energy-Friendly Affordable Housing says it worked with Congresswoman Kilroy, a junior member of the majority on the House Financial Services Committee, to draft the measure. The bill is supported by groups that include the U.S. Green Building Council and the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. Supporters say the act would create market-based incentives to increase the energy efficiency of federally assisted housing. The Energy Efficiency Modernization Act of 2009 would establish a so-called Green Dividend Program to incentivize federally assisted housing owners who take adequate steps to decrease energy costs of their respective properties. Congresswoman Kilroy reports that a recent study by the Government Accountability Office found that HUD spends an estimated $5 billion annually on energy costs to pay for roughly 6 million units of housing, representing almost 17% of the nation's rental housing stock. Supporters say the Energy Efficiency Modernization Act would help improve the energy efficiency of federally assisted housing by 25 to 40 percent. That would equal savings for HUD annually of approximately $1 to $1.5 billion. Congresswoman Kilroy says that existing rules and regulations make it difficult for owners of federally assisted housing to maximize efforts to increase energy efficiency. But the Energy Efficiency Modernization Act would provide significant long-term cost savings for taxpayers and would provide stimulus to the economy by generating capital projects and creating green-collar jobs. A copy of the Energy Efficiency Modernization Act has been posted online at Novograd and Company's newly renovated HUD Resource Center website. You can access the new site at www.hudresourcecenter.com. Speaking of energy, let's shift gears now and consider two proposals related to renewable energy tax credits. The first proposal is included in a bill introduced late last month. On November 20th, Congresswoman Betsy Markey of Colorado was joined by Congressman Eric Paulson of Minnesota in introducing the Renewable Electricity Integration Tax Credit Act, also known as H.R. 4149. The bill would provide a tax credit for utilities to integrate more wind and solar into their energy portfolios. There are substantial costs for integrating renewable energy into the grid because that energy is only available when the sun shines and when the wind blows. Supporters say renewable Electricity Integration Tax Credit Act would relieve the burden faced by utilities 
bringing intermittent renewable energy like wind and solar online and help bring down the cost of clean energy production. Currently, only wind developers benefit from the production tax credit, or PTC. Representatives Markey and Paulson's bill takes into account additional costs for ramping baseload plants up and down to accommodate intermittent wind and solar, adding quick-start natural gas generation to serve as a backup when wind and solar are not available, and investing in projects to store renewable electric power. The bill would create a tax credit for utilities that have sizable portfolios of renewable energy generation ranging from 0.1 cent per kilowatt hour if wind and solar make up 4% of electricity production, up to 0.6 cents per kilowatt hour if wind and solar make up 24% of electricity production. In addition to addressing renewable energy integration costs, Congresswoman Markey believes that her bill will spur job creation, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and help diversify America's energy portfolio. A renewable electricity integration tax credit has been endorsed by a number of groups, including the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Natural Resources Defense Council, National Association of Manufacturers, the Center for American Progress, Energy Future Coalition, Third Way, and the Building and Construction Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. H.R. 4149 has been referred to the House Committee on Ways and Means. A copy of the measure can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Related information and updates will be posted there as we continue to track the proposal. In related news, reports emerged last week that lawmakers may consider doubling, that's right, doubling, the Section 48 Cap C Renewable Energy Tax Credit as part of an upcoming jobs bill. The newspaper The Hill reported on November 19th that New Mexico Senator and more Significantly, Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee Chairman Jeff Bingaman is pressing leadership to use the planned jobs bill to double a popular new tax credit for domestic manufacturing of green energy equipment. The Recovery Act created a 30% investment tax credit under Section 48 Cap C for investments in manufacturing of components for wind, power, solar, and many other advanced energy technologies. According to the Treasury Department, applications for the Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit have already outstripped the $2.3 billion cap provided under the Recovery Act. The Hill indicates that Chairman Bingaman has suggested that an additional $2.5 billion of credits should be included in new legislation, such as the jobs bill that is being widely discussed. You can learn more about the Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Simply click on Hot Topics in the News menu, and you'll be taken to our website on the Section 48 Cap C program. For details about the credit, you can also contact Tony Grapponi in our Boston office or my partner Dan Smith in our Dover, Ohio office. Another renewable energy provision of the Recovery Act has also been making headlines in recent weeks, but for different reasons. As some listeners may recall, last month, Senator Charles Schumer of New York called for a comprehensive review of all renewable energy tax credit eligible projects that are seeking cash grant funding through the Section 1603 program created by the Recovery Act. Today, I have an update on that situation. The Section 1603 cash grant program allows owners to forego federal energy tax credits in exchange for receiving direct cash grants. In a letter in early November, Senator Schumer urged the Obama administration to block any stimulus money from financing a proposed wind farm in Texas. This wind farm is going to rely entirely on wind turbines built in China. The project is a joint venture comprised of China's Shenyang Power Group, 
Cielo Wind Power, a Texas-based power company, and the U.S. Renewable Energy Group. Their plans are to build a 648-megawatt wind farm in West Texas, covering 36,000 acres. In a letter sent to U.S. Energy Secretary Stephen Chu, Senator Schumer urged that the project receive no stimulus dollars unless it relies on American-built products rather than Chinese turbines. As I mentioned in the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast on November 17th, Senator Schumer's letter and its potential impact was discussed several times at the Novograd Renewable Energy Conference in Washington, D.C. last month. In those discussions, there was initial concern that if Senator Schumer was successful in limiting U.S. renewable energy subsidies to only U.S.-based companies, then foreign countries might retaliate and limit their subsidies to their foreign-based domestic manufacturers, setting the stage for a renewable energy trade war. Since then, there have been two notable developments. First, on November 18th, USA Today reported that Energy Secretary Chu responded with a letter to Senator Schumer defending the awards process. According to the paper, Secretary Chu wrote that companies that supplied turbines to the wind farms that received funding had U.S. plants and that the farms are in the U.S. creating local installation jobs and tax revenue. He cited industry statistics that 53% of the value of turbine parts installed under the program were American-made. The New York Times Green Inc. blog reported on November 17th that the U.S. Renewable Energy Group, the U.S.-based private equity firm, and A-Power Energy Generation Systems, the Chinese turbine maker involved in the Texas project, have announced plans to build a new turbine factory in the United States. The company said in a statement on November 16th that they had signed an agreement to build a new production and assembly plant in the United States that will supply highly advanced wind energy turbines to renewable energy projects throughout North and South America. The companies say that the plant would employ about 1,000 American workers in addition to creating construction jobs. In addition to production and assembly at the new plant, the plan calls for many of the key wind turbine components to be sourced from U.S. manufacturers, further expanding the number of jobs created in the United States. However, other details about the plan run clear at the time of this recording. For example, it's not known where the plant will be located, when construction of the plant would begin, and when such a plant would begin production of turbines. Now it's time for this week's Project Profile segment, and it relates to a project funded through Section 1603 federal grants. On November 20th, Colorado Congresswoman Betsy Markey announced that nearly $100 million had been awarded to Next Era Energy Resources. The funds were awarded through the Section 1603 grant program and are a substitute for federal renewable energy production tax credits. The funds will be used to expand the Northern Colorado Wind Energy Farm in Peets, Colorado. Peets is in northeastern Colorado on Colorado Highway 113 near the Nebraska border. Congresswoman Markey says the funds will allow quicker job creation in the near term and investment in infrastructure that will provide long-term economic benefits. The Recovery Act funding granted $99.9 million that will be used to support generation of electric, mechanical, or thermal energy from renewable resources and will create and preserve jobs in the construction and operational stages. There has not been a group of projects of this magnitude in our community over its entire history, said Logan County planner Jim Neblett. This group of projects has generated significant economic benefits to Logan County. For Phase 1 and 2 of the project, Logan County received a one-time $4.16 million payment from which building permit fees were paid and use taxes from FPL Energy were received. Construction of the first two phases of the Wind Center employed an estimated 300 to 350 temporary employees and provided 20 full-time jobs. 
The completed phases one and two of the project have an assessed valuation for property tax purposes of $190 million. Neblet credits the wind projects with increasing retail sales in Logan County since construction began in 2005. That's when retail sales in the entire county jumped 17%. Sales increased an additional 21% in 2006 and then 27% a year later. I also note that the first two phases did use general electric turbines. Before we wrap up for the day, let's take a quick look at the tax credit calendar. Later this week, I'll be in Las Vegas at our Las Vegas Affordable Housing Tax Credit Conference. During our conference luncheon, the Journal of Tax Credit Housing's Developments of Distinctions Awards will be presented. I'll share details about the winners in next week's podcast. Next week, on December 10th, the New York Housing Conference and National Housing Conference will host its 36th Annual Awards Luncheon at the Hilton in New York City. Each year, the groups recognize individuals and organizations that have made New York a better place to live and work. HUD Secretary Sean Donovan, a former commissioner of NHC's member partner, the New York City Department of Housing Preservation and Development, will be a keynote speaker to help celebrate the success of this year's honorees. He'll also address the affordable housing needs of families in New York and nationwide. There are four awards being presented at the event in New York. There is the Clara Fox Award for Outstanding Achievement. It's being awarded to Felice Machetti, Chair and CEO of Grenadier Realty Corporation. There's the Nonprofit Housing Developer of the Year Award, and it's going to Adam Weinstein, President and CEO of Phipps Houses. There's the Private Housing Developer of the Year Award going to BFC Partners. And there's the Public Service Award, and it's going to two people. Priscilla Almodovar, President and CEO of the New York State Housing Finance Agency, and Deborah Van Emmergen, Commissioner of New York State Division of Housing and Community Renewal. Also next week, the New Market Tax Credit Coalition is holding its annual December meeting in Washington, D.C. I'll be attending this conference, and I'll be participating in a panel where I'll review the comments that the New Market Tax Credit Working Group developed for suggested improvements to the New Market Tax Credit Allocation application. One of the highlights of the conference will be a keynote address by Congressman Javier Pissarra. Congressman Pissarra is a member of the Democratic leadership of the House and a senior member of the House Ways and Means Committee. And speaking of calendars, we received confirmation last week that the Community Development Financial Institutions, or CDFI, fund has made a tentative timeline for the next round of New Markets Tax Credit Allocation and Application. For the next round of the New Market Tax Credit Program, assuming, of course, that the tax credit is extended beyond its current sunset date of December 31st, the CDFI fund expects to open the next application round in February 2010. That's right, February 2010, and set a due date for applications in April. If these dates hold, the CDFI fund expects it would make allocation announcement awards in November of 2010. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week when I'll discuss the latest news for the tax credit community, including a discussion of the winners of the Journal of Tax Credit Housing's Developments of Distinction Awards. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. (music) 